Hello everyone, welcome to this uh, very special Sabbath School from Home episode. Lachlan, today we get to complete a full circle. We do. Yeah, we. for those who have been listening to us for what is coming up to four years now, I think, look, well, this being the 16th quarter that we've done. That's right, and and for those that like to do their 13 times tables, we're, we've published 196 episodes. Yeah. I probably uh, no. There was one in there with fourteen, wasn't it? There was at least one. I think two actually that have snuck through with um, yeah. with with fourteen. So it might not be an exact multiple. Uh, that's that's um, okay. But there may be some people who've not listened to the early episodes, and I, I haven't listened to them for four years. Uh, we run the risk of of repeating ourselves. The uh, this podcast kicked off during the first COVID lockdowns where community at local churches was um, a very difficult um, thing to make possible and uh, we started recording this subsequent discussion. At that time, I can't remember what the quarter was on, but it was on something to do with um, uh, prophecy, I think Daniel Revelation, and we're in the midst of some pretty tough times and we felt it was a bit more resonant to our lived experience to to read, you know, that an account of other people through their own sufferings and the psalms are very raw they're very authentic and uh, there's a full spectrum of human experience there and christians have turned to them across the ages for comfort in difficult times so we we elected in our first quarter not to follow the lesson pamphlet but instead to do um 13 psalms so we're going to be a little uh, careful in sidestepping some of the psalms that uh, we've done before and where there is an obvious fit between uh, the topic under discussion uh, and a psalm that we've already dealt with, then we might draw that to your attention. You can flick back to one of our episodes from four years ago um, for sort of some supplementary listening. Uh, that being so, uh, it's going to be a great season, I think, Locke. It's going to be good dipping back into it. Yeah. Uh, on a few occasions, uh, the listeners might might be interested to know this on a few occasions over the last couple of years we have um at the end of a of a quarter looked at the topic or the theme of the upcoming quarter and wondered to ourselves ah do we have much of value to add there or would we be better to dig back into the psalms Uh, because we remember with fondness that first season uh when we were sort of yeah we were inventing this idea as a podcast we were also um, that was the, we're all friends, but that was the first time we were regularly meeting together as, as the group of people that are the co-hosts of this podcast. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, there's a, there's an excitement here that the lesson has finally caught up with, with our, um, decision-making, so to speak, our vision. <laughs> and yeah, we have a, we have an entire quarter to look at Psalms. And of course, there's lots of ways you could do that. You could look at um, themes that come up in the Psalms, and then each week you could cut across many different chapters of the book of Psalms. Um, our preference has always been, from the very start, to to jump less. Pick a passage. Pick a passage, uh, dwell in it a little Can bit. I... And I think that's what we're going to do again as we go through this quarter. Yeah, it's not what the lesson does. So we will try and pick Psalms that are resonant with the themes and maybe a Psalm that's referenced in the, in the topics discussion. Um, one observation, um, I've reflected on the podcast and I think we are most challenged and uh, led in the most new and interesting, exciting new directions. When we are reading material that's unfamiliar to us, for instance, the, 
quarter we did on Deuteronomy. Mm. I know it's one of Ken's highlights. And where we're um, required or we've, we've placed on ourselves the sort of onus of dealing with a text yeah. as it is. When it's more systematic, um, and I th- I'd be interested to know if our listeners um, have noticed the same things in their subsequent discussions, but when, when there's a theme, we tend to turn to the passages we already know yeah. to comment on the theme um, and perhaps are guilty of repeating some ideas more often. Yeah. So uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, look, the lesson, I'm going to give two statements in this lesson, one of which um, I have, uh, I don't necessarily check to it entirely, but nor am I entirely comfortable with. And the second statement, which is comes later in this week's lesson, is much better. So <clears throat> in the opening paragraph uh, for this lesson, which is entitled How to Read the Psalms, it says that it's been a prayer book and a hymn book for both Jews and Christians throughout the ages, and that the Psalms, are, though they're predominantly the Psalmist's own words addressed to God, the Psalms did not originate with mortals, but with God, who inspired their thoughts. Mm. Now, <clears throat> we are not going to um, deviate now um, because we did it four years ago. But there's a we looked at the psalm uh, uh, written in exile and uh, that begins by the rivers of Babylon we wept. And of course that psalm has the psalmist imagining with what appears to be fervour and fondness the image of taking children and dashing them against the rocks. Mm. And <clears throat> we talked about that psalm and I do remember that episode sticking out as one of interest. Um, so uh, that's something to go back and look at. It It's difficult to see all the thoughts expressed in the Psalms as coming from God. Mm. There's some fairly sort of raw points in there. Yeah, I mean, this is a very, a very intricate question around, about, around how you see God's inspiration working. Um, it's most helpful to me personally to, to realise that however inspiration works, it is at least partly mirrored in the way that incarnation works. Being that, when Jesus was walking in Palestine as a human, I mean, he needed to eat, he needed to drink. There, there were all sorts of aspects of his lived experience that were much more con- constrained by human reality than they were guided by divine reality. Just be- because that's mm. the way incarnation works. Without that, it's not incarnation at all. It's just divine visitation. Um, and yeah. I, I find it so helpful to reflect that to however inspiration works, it's got to be analogous. There's, there's some element of inspiration coming from God. But there's a huge amount also of the, the result that we see um, through the the word the written word that that retains that has been retained, um, it includes a whole lot of humanity as well, and I don't I don't think that should be th- too threatening to us because, as I as I say, it's exactly the way we understand incarnation. Well, I mean, what's fascinating, uh, Locke, is that when you are in the position of trying to teach someone mathematics, which is as close to pure abstract, um, unambiguous, objective truth as we have. Mm. And it, I won't go into the philosophy of mathematics, but I mean, one reason why we can prove things in mathematics to a certainty is because we define the starting point. 
we define the axioms from which we'll reason. Um, yeah. Whereas scientists scientists go the other way. Scientists don't know how the universe works and are trying to find out. Mm. They see the consequence and are trying to work out the cause. And mathematicians know the cause. Yeah, because they define, it's written. They define it, yeah. yeah. But when you are trying to communicate that, um, you rely a lot on, what am I trying to say? Inspiration is the only basis for that communication, but it's not inspiration in the sense of inspiring the theorem. Mm. You're looking for inspiration in the mind of the listener. Uh, yeah. Because you can give a reason and they say, I don't get it. And you give another reason. They say, I just don't get it. And you say, well, what happens if you thought of it this way? And they say, I don't get it. And you say, well, you know, imagine a paddock full of zombies and it's X by Y and the areas that, no, I still don't get it. And, and then it's always paddocks of sheep. And mathematicians <laughs> are very un, unimaginative. In every, every textbook, it was always a paddock of sheep. So I used to always change it to paddocks of zombies just to try and wake my students up. <laughs> but then against all hope... Um, and against any reason, there's no reason we ought to be able to communicate ideas. Mm, mm. There's, it's not. I mean, we take it for granted, but the universe didn't have to be made that way. Um, it's an un, reason is itself quite unreasonable because suddenly you see the lights go on in someone else's eyes, and mm. they say, oh, "I've got it." Yeah. And at that point, you ask them one or two questions, and they give the correct answer, and you then become confident that the idea that is in your mind is also in theirs. Mm, mm. Where did it come from? Yeah. Like, I mean, forget forget divine truth being a fascinating, difficult thing to try and explain how divine truth is communicated to humans. How do humans communicate to other humans? And and a lot has to happen in the mind of the of the receiver. Mm. Um, and um, we hear this, you know, when people pray before sermons or pray for that may the words that he speak speak to us mm. from you. May they be your words. That's not just the actual words, but may they be understood correctly. Yeah, we're we're pray, praying for inspiration on the receiving end. So, um, Wednesday, the opening paragraph to Wednesday's lesson, Lachlan resolves this much better, I think, rather than saying that the Psalms, the thoughts in the Psalms, are inspired by God or inferring in that direction. Wednesday's lesson begins with this statement. The Psalms are inspired prayers and praises of Israel. And so in the Psalms, in the Psalms, the voice is that of God intermingled with that of his people. The Psalms mm. assume the dynamics of a vivid interaction with God. I like that. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanna, as you were describing that, that whole process, the, the um, transferring of ideas, the, the role of inspiration, the, the, way inspiration works it occurs to me that one of the ways that we could validly use the word inspiration would be as follows uh plenty of people have all manner of different feelings but what we hmm. see in the psalms is the result of some of those people feeling inspired to record their feelings can you hmm. can you see how different that is that's not saying necessarily it may be that god gave them the feelings but it may be that yeah. they were feelings that represented or expressed or um, contextualized or just basically encapsulated the human experience that yeah. God knew, knows, is widespread. Yeah. And the role of inspiration yeah. was basically the gentle whisper saying, that's worth writing down. Pe people need to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. 
They're, you're, you're not the only person who's discouraged, or you're not the only person who's feeling euphoric, or you're not the only person who's feeling angry, or you're not the only person who's feeling out of control. Yeah. Or you know, you're not the. Only. And um, yeah, I like that. I like that. There's there's um, there's a sense in which if you view it in that light, you can imagine someone saying saying to God, you know, I'm so sorry. I just feel hopeless and rejected and bitter and angry and and God saying, well, actually. I'm large enough to take that. Mm. Write it down. Sing it in church. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can deal with that. That's that's not too much for me and it is the way you feel. So write it down. Yeah. And that's a I think that's a pretty exciting picture of yeah. um the way God wants to interact with his creation. Yeah. Well, we let's jump into a psalm, look, and um, we're going to start on a positive psalm. Um, last season, we started on Psalm 46, uh, Be still and know that I am God. At that point in time, we were all mandated by the government to be still. Um, <laughs> yeah. So our recommendation from that time was to self-isolate and know that I am God, uh, which uh, would have been a delightful name for the podcast in retrospect. But anyway, Sabbath School from Home is perhaps more descriptive. Um, we're also going to start on a positive note, but this one's, um, you know, rather than sort of calm peace, this is very decidedly joyous and exuberant and overflowing. Mm. Um, psalm 33. Shall we read the psalm? Yeah. I've already got a few thoughts. Are we going to interrupt ourselves with with some thoughts as we go through it, Cam, or do we want to read through it and then maybe come back? Uh, let's read through it in one go. Yeah, okay. I'll start then. Psalm 33. Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsels of the Lord stand forever, and the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees a whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts, so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Yeah, this one I could imagine singing in church. Yeah. Um, Not all the Psalms can I imagine singing in church so easily, but this one is very resonant with the sorts of things we do sing. Yeah, uh, we put the final verses... We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. We trust in his holy name. They are almost lyrics of some of the songs that we sing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, Lockie, you said you had a few thoughts that had jumped out to you even even before we'd read through it. Ah, um, where do you want to take us? Well, that's because I had already sort of scanned it before we before we started reading it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Look, I think it might be somewhere that you wanted to go as well. The the verse three, sing a new song. Um, ah, yes. I, yeah. You made a mention of that before we hit the record button, and I scanned around it. And yes. It, it really is percolating on my brain a little bit. Um, the the song is about the constancy and reliability of God. That's what this psalm. That's one of the things this psalm is saying, and yet it is it is celebrating the idea that despite God not having changed, he, he is mm. unfailing in his love. He is um, strong and can save kings and nations. Um, he is powerful and can bound up the oceans in reservoirs. Despite all of these things just being true, the psalmist is suggesting we could make a new song about this. Well, it's not only that these things are true and that they've been there forever, but there has been many songs about them. Yes. I mean, if you if you look at um, Miriam's song yep. uh, after crossing the Red Sea, then uh, you know, that's a psalm more or less along these lines. Yes, yeah. Good point. Uh, so songs already exist on these themes, but the psalmist recommends that we engage in the creative act of making new ones. Hmm. Uh, why... Why is that? I mean, surely the old songs are good enough. Yeah. Um, well, because I have a new idea in my mind that I shared 10 minutes ago, I, I'm going to say it could just be that there is, um, there is something great about this a, a person feeling, a, a feeling that's been felt by others before, but feeling it and writing it down, sharing it. Um, yeah. In, in this case, sharing it may be in song, but, but you could imagine uh, potentially sharing it through a TikTok video. There's, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, my question was a little facetious because we have many pop songs. Why write more? Yeah. We, we have many songs in the classical style. Why write more? It seems to be a thing that we can't help doing. And maybe maybe this is this notion of inspiration we're exploring. Maybe God's looking down at a people who can't help but be creative. We're made in his image. Mm. And so he said, all right, well, good, do it. Use those powers to write a song about this. Or the psalmist is saying, you know, this is a good subject for a song. You want to write a song, write this one. Yep. And there is something, there is something um, about poetry that makes the old new. One of my favourite poems is a poem Adrian Plass writes about daffodils. And the metaphor he uses is of these um, sunken neon light hmm. packed and parachuted through. So you've got this image of something under the earth packing this subterranean neon light. And then, you know, like a parachute opening falling downwards, but this is parachuted vertically upwards. Mm. And, you know, packed and parachuted through. That that line, and when you see the daffodils open, you know, daffodils have been around forever and I've always enjoyed them. But when you read a poem that speaks to you a bit. You say, oh, wow, yeah, that's, mm. you know, uh, it's it's the natural neon is like, he, the word he uses is something about like it's uh, forged. It's forged and shaped subterraneously. Yeah. Um, and then parachuted through. And suddenly the old becomes new. Yeah. You know, the, parach- the daffodil's been there forever, but the new poem that you read that explores it in a new way that you've not seen before makes, you know, 
it doesn't just bring to mind the beauty of the daffodil. It brings to mind the eternal novelty of each daffodil that you see. Yeah. And uh, something that's truly beautiful is beautiful each each time you see it. Maybe that's one of the roles for this new song. Yeah, there's another thing that's occurring to me. So you're, you, you gave an analogy from mathematics about the... Um, the almost amazing ability to transfer an abstract thought from one person's mind to another person's mind. And that's something that, yeah. that's a fascination I share. I've pointed that out to many students that I have interacted with doing maths and physics and science. Can, and I've pointed out the, yeah. I said, why don't you think it is remarkable that we can transfer an abstract idea like that in high fidelity, in high accuracy, we can reproduce it exactly. And when they stop to think not, about it, they are, they are, yeah. They, I had one student say, I've never thought of it like that. And I was explaining yeah. to them what it is about teaching that I find quite interesting. Now, the, the thought that I was about to make, Cam, is that there are, some, yeah. there are many aspects of human abstract thought that cannot be transferred with 100% reproductive f fidelity, right? So if, if, I, nah. if I want to talk to you about an infinity which is larger than another infinity... It sounds stupid, yeah. right? And kids on playgrounds talk about things being infinity bigger than others and, yeah. and think they've won. But actually, it's very, very easy. And I'm not going to take the time now on this podcast, but it's very easy to <laughs> talk through a, a little couple of games, number games, and you, you yeah. stumble upon the idea that the first infinity that you thought you encountered has to be infinitely smaller than a different infinity. And as soon as you do that, this yeah. is the really remarkable thing. As soon as you have an infinity which is infinitely bigger than the first infinity, then you can imagine yeah. one that's infinitely bigger still and one that's infinitely bigger still. And you can now imagine an infinite set of yeah. infinities, each of which is infinitely larger than the one that came before. And that idea is so preposterous. And yet it is yeah. so transmittable yeah. with, with a, a reasonably keen year eight student and a whiteboard yep. and 10 minutes. Yeah. I could. Yeah. I. I have done it. I'm not. I'm not just exaggerating. Yeah, I have it done like... it. But, but that's one of the remarkable things about maths, because there's so much of human experience which is equally abstract and profound, but which we do not have the communication machinery that can transmit that idea in high resolution. And, and that's that's and the difference is... between maths and poetry, right? So poetry. Yeah is all about saying, okay, there's some things that normal uses of language don't accurately describe. I'm going to get flexible with my use of language. I'm going yeah. to describe a daffodil as a parachute. It's not, but I'm going to say it is. I'm going to use the, the, the yeah. imagery and the verb of parachuting. Um, yeah. Everything about that's wrong, but by using it out of place, I'm trying to, trying so to convey beautiful. some idea. Yeah. But that's the trouble. The reason why it's so... That's an idea which you can't. The, the, the aesthetic the feeling you have about a, a beautiful flower is, is yeah. a difficult one to transmit from one person to another person. Well, yeah. The, but the metaphor is so good on so many levels. I, I've planted 6,000 daffodils in my lawn. And, you know, one week there's nothing. And then the next week you're playing hide and seek. I take the kids out for a walk and it's hide and seek where you have to try and find the little heads of the bulbs po poking through. Yeah. And then within two weeks, they're like a foot tall. Yeah. And then the parachute opens and they slow down. You know, there, there's something sort of... It's not just the look of them. It's They sort of burst through as if they're falling upwards. Yeah. That's what, that's what it feels like. It feels like you're looking at something that's falling upwards. 
And, you know, you can describe a daffodil scientifically in terms of its height, its mm. colour shade, mm. its genus, its et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that is not describing what it feels like Yeah. yeah. to look out at your lawn with 6,000 daffodils in it and then to go out and it looks beautiful that way and then you go walking among them and each of the daffodils is different mm. but also similar and you know they're beautiful up close and then you pick one and you smell it and you get really close to it and it's beautiful in an entirely different way um uh look i am going to um draw on this idea of infinities though uh, i've just been given a book ken gave me a book um by a mathematician uh, talking about the similarities between um maths and poetry yeah. And there are some striking similarities. One of them is that um, a maths proof and a poem are both forms of literature where every word counts yeah. and no surplus words are included. Good, yeah. So there's there's a brevity and there's and it highly reliant on structure mm. and, you know, there's similarities between them. But this idea itself, and maths and mathematicians have always felt, we're getting off topic, we really need Ken here and Luke to keep <laughs> us in check. Um I ought to warn the listeners that this experience of having a thought communicated, um, I had a pretty stressful time at the school where I was teaching, and one of the lifelines I had, Locke, was calling you up in the evenings to discuss some research. And we did literally unpack a new idea together over the phone without even a whiteboard. Yeah. Over the course of about a year and a half and many walks, Matthew was young at that stage and I was pushing the pram late at night and security guards would... I used to walk around the campus of UTAS and security <laughs> guards used to stop me. They were very sort of mystified at this guy just doing circles, um, talking, yeah. talking maths. Um, it is a, a, an amazing experience when the penny drops mm. and you say, whoa, yeah, I've just got that. And it, as a teacher, it's no less exciting when someone else gets it. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah. Anyway, I'm off topic. No, but this, um, but this idea of this infinity is not, is... It's not really too off topic because the, the, this is exactly what I think is happening in the Psalms. So many of the Psalms, the, the upbeat ones, the down ones, whatever, they, they are attempting, but in no way claiming to be definitive, meaning, meaning they're yeah. attempting to describe some element that's somewhat abstract in the human experience that can't be completely and easily written down and described they're attempting and yet every single one of them there's more that could still be said um this invocation yeah. sing a new song is um you know the book of psalms doesn't stop at psalm 33 here <laughs> so there's yeah, lots more yeah. yet yet coming yeah the people are still writing them this idea of there being an infinity bigger than the first infinity that you meet and there's one bigger than that and there's one bigger than that is also itself a really fascinating metaphor for why you might want to create a new song in the last battle, to mm. get in our compulsory C.S. Lewis reference, um, they leave Narnia and they come to the new Narnia. And the new Narnia is bigger and brighter and better, bolder colours and sweeter fruit and greener grass and more warming sunshine than the old Narnia. And they feel that they have come home at last. Mm. And the inside, they, they go through the stable door into the new Narnia and the new Narnia is bigger than the old Narnia. And they journey through the new Narnia and they come to a hill. And on top of the hill is a garden. And they enter the garden. And inside the garden, they find a new, new Narnia. Yeah. <laughs> and they feel like they've come home. And they feel like the grass is greener and the colours are brighter. And, the, mm. and what C.S. Lewis is painting is that wonderful experience where a human experience deepens and we find dimensions in friendships and marriages and relationships with God and other people. There is that 
moment sometimes where you say, ah, oh, I, I, I've just experienced something for the first time, mm. but which will become home to me. This is yeah, this is a joy. Um, and so there is always something new to write about, even in the very old things. And Chesterton makes the point that um, that we, that God is, he says, our father is younger than us because we tire. We tire of the old and look for the new. Mm. But God doesn't. Maybe the sun, rise, the sun rises every day simply because God's never gotten sick of it, he says. <laughs> he says, do it again. Yeah. Like a child says, do it again. <laughs> do it again. Um and he's yeah, he said our father is younger than than we are because he, he doesn't tire of that's, the old. Yeah, that's fascinating a idea. Fun idea. Look, this lesson is on how to read the Psalms. So let's take this psalm as a jumping point. Let mm. me throw some ideas at you. Uh, one way you could um, read this psalm is to say that this psalm strongly recommends harps have ten strings. Right. Because the psalmist had the option. Psalmist had the option to just say sing a song on the harp, but no, it's the ten string harp. Now that I think about all the harps I've ever seen played in church, they have more than ten strings. <laughs> mm. Is that is that against now, the inspired intention of the holy writings? Well, I've I've read a, a, a dissertation. Wolf Pynchon probably it could give you a copy lock, but it was a dissertation by I think a Lutheran minister on on what um, instrument is it um, is a good Christian allowed to play? Okay, yeah. <laughs> and he goes through them all, and it's it's very good. You know, trumpets clearly biblical, um, offset by the fact that I say this as a trumpet player, offset by the fact that trumpet players have a real ego problem, um, and you know, and you might be mixing with less than holy company, so maybe not that. And violins, well, all the solos, are, you know, it's hard to stay humble there. But maybe second violin, viola, and he goes through the list, and I think he ends up with just the triangle. Um, <laughs> but but we do. We do spend a lot of time when we talk about arguing, sorry, when we talk about worshipping, I nearly said arguing with God. Maybe we should spend more time arguing with God and less time arguing with each other. Maybe um, when, we, when we talk about worshipping God, we do actually spend a large amount of time contemplating what style and mm. instrumentation is. And, of course, if you did take your recommendation straight from the Psalms, we could end up with clashing cymbals and... Oh, yeah, yeah sounding gongs and all all sorts of things. So um, maybe we won't take this. Maybe that's the wrong way to read the psalm. Maybe we shouldn't read the psalm. You know, uh, do we read the psalm and say, ah, uh, God has heaped up the oceans? Well, that's a, that's a weird phrase to use, isn't it? Like, mm, mm. Um, Is that? Now, as a lit- literal statement of an action of God, um, I'm, I've lost the verse now, Locke. Which verse is it? Oh, uh uh, six to seven. seven. He gathers he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Mm. Mm. Now, if we were to interpret this psalm as like, I don't know, is this something that God did once just for fun? That he just put the oceans in a big pile, or is this something he does regularly? Is this a vague reference to clouds? Um, you know, do you feel like that I'm moving in the right direction for extracting value from psalms? Um, I I don't. I see here unambiguously a reference back to the Genesis creation narrative, but it's 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 re- referenced in the in the way. Um, 
verse 8, let the whole, word, whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. It's, it's referring to established narratives that the listener would be aware of that all point towards the, the, a, an awesome God. Yeah. That's what, that's what I think it's doing because that, um, the, that, seems to come, that seems to come out as well. There's another, there's another whole similar sort of problem down in verses 13 to 18 or 19, right? So um, there's all this, all this military, political warfare sort of, sort of narrative. Um, yeah. The Lord sees the whole human race. Uh, he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse. Um, mm. But the Lord watches over those who fear him. So it's, it's pulling out, to me what it's doing, is it's pulling out lived experience and contemporary narrative that is meaningful and using it to frame what the, what the author is wanting, is bubbling over with, it seems in this psalm, just, just effervescent with mm. this with this feeling about God at that time, at that moment. Yeah, yeah. And it's very obvious that the subject of this dissertation is, is God. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, surely if there is any subject locked too large for our capacity to communicate, it would have to be God. I'm, I'm talking about communicating the way you communicate in maths proof. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, God must surely be the ultimate transcendent reality. Yeah. And and any effort to communicate him is going to therefore involve, I think, um, less precision. Yeah, and but, at, at times... But precision is not a benefit. This is one of the other things that's, you know, something is not, something is not communicated better because it's done precisely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different sort of communication. I can almost hear, if Luke was here at this recording, mm. I feel he would draw our attention to verses 18 and 19. The Lord watches over those who fear mm. him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. And, and Luke has spent mm. a number of years working for ADRA and has seen and an interfaced with all sorts of situations where people are dying and are not being kept alive in times of famine. And the, the point that I'm making is, if you were to read verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 33 to imply that the people that die in times of famine must be those who do not rely on the unfailing love of the Lord, then I'm sure that you are misunderstanding what the psalmist was trying to say. Mm. I'm absolutely categorically sure, because I don't think that sort of logical precision was even remotely on the mind of the person who wrote these words. Well, um, this, 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 this person is very clearly just excited and using, using certain exaggerations to make the point that God is this big and is this powerful. He's not entering into a, a, a detailed dissertation on the problems of good well, and suffering, you know. If, and, and you get, you know, some of those nuances are, I think, more effectively portrayed, you know, with the three worthies, for example, in other parts of Scripture, where mm. they say to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, God can save us. Yeah. But he might not. Yeah. We're going to do the right thing anyway. That gives me an alternative. If this is what God does, mm. and we are meant to be his people, then it ought also be what we do. 
Yes. <laughs> so the, mm. so when when you say God saves the poor and looks after the fatherless and the widow, yeah. Um, surely one of the things the psalmist is trying to say is yeah, these, as his people, yeah. That's what we should be doing. These are now, important things after to singing be this psalm. After singing this psalm, if you left church and saw someone on the verge of starvation, you would possibly be more inclined to give them some food. Mm. So um, that's that's one dimension. And then, like, I'm eyeing the clock. I've got something that might constitute a, a um, good closing thought. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think we're pretty much uh, ready for it. We've talked about communicating ideas, about that moment as a teacher when the or as a student when the penny drops and how exciting that is. Um, we've talked about the difficulty in communicating some topics compared with others, and some of them we can do very precisely and others we can't. Um, and we've talked about music. And there's something in common with all these things, and that is we are excited as humans. There's something that seems to us to be fundamental to our conditions, fundamentally good or fundamentally powerful or compelling when people do things together. So if you want to impress as a military dictator, you don't just get soldiers to walk down the street, they march. Mm. What's the what's the virtue in the marching? Now, watching someone do underwater acrobatics is fun, but watching two people do them synchronised yeah. in synchronised swimming is undeniably cool. Yeah. When you see a vocal quartet um, singing, it's like ballet dancers and the, the choreography and the... And the um, and the cooperation and the, the the level of consistency of purpose and expression in a, in a troupe of ballet dancers doing their thing well is just amazing. Mm. But listen to a good vocal quartet. I was listening to the idea of North, and I was just thinking, it's really like a dance of their vocal cords. Yeah, it's every bit as in- intricate as dancing with your fingers. It's just they're dancing with their and that level of harmony and synchronization and yeah. seeing people do things together is a compelling experience. And when you do communicate the idea. It's not the idea itself, although sometimes the idea is pretty cool, like there being infinities bigger than other infinities. <laughs> um, but what is even cooler is that sudden sense you have where that person is thinking the same thing that you are and you're yeah. thinking the same thing that they are. And there's that level of harmony and synchronisation that is just compelling. And any any person any day of the week can jump on YouTube and freely listen to any Beatles song they want. Mm. So why would you pay money to go and see Paul McCartney? Well, ninety thousand people did. Yeah. In Sydney. Yeah. And they went with their kids and their parents and their grandparents, and it was absolutely packed. And they had a ball. Why? What's the? It's not in the music itself because you can access that much more cheaply and more readily. Mm. There's something about that shared experience, yeah, which is, which is super compelling. So I turn to verse twenty, and if this song were sung in church, I would put money on verse twenty running this way. In in out of our hymn books and according to our tradition, it would say, "My soul waits for the Lord; hmm. He is my help and my shield." But Psalms thirty three does not finish this way. Psalms thirty three says, "Our soul," isn't that a like we have a collective soul. Mm, mm. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. It's it's plural and it's inclusive. Yeah. And we, we all have a diverse human experience. But when we meet together and 
we sing that psalm, we might not be feeling sad at the time, but we sing the psalm that's sad. And for that moment, we are gifting our empathic our empathic human experience to those people in the congregation who are sad. Mm. And when you, when you sing the psalm that's full of praise to God, you might not feel like praising God, but you're gifting. You know, there's that sense of common experience, which is a gift given by every member mm. to all the other members. Um, it imparts some sort of specialness. And uh, it could be then that one of the best ways to read the psalms is together. It could be. It could be. I like that. And I think we should conclude there. And in coming episodes, we will um, read psalms together for the rest of this season. Um, and let's let's ask God's blessing on us and on the listeners and on our communities as we do so. That's a great point, Locke. It's together, but it's together with God. And getting back to this uh, quote from the lesson, which I did like on Wednesday, the Psalms assume the dynamics of vivid interactions with God. Hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, we are glad that people listen to this podcast. We're more glad for the Psalms and we're more glad for each other and we do these discussions in any case. But people do download it and apparently it seems to bring value. Uh, the opportunity for interaction is limited, but it's not non-existent. You can send us an email at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com and um, if you want to check out the f- the first season we did um, with uh, on thirteen psalms, if you if you have a psalm that you want us to look at, um, hopefully as my life stabilizes a little bit, I'll be back into the position of being able to do at least some research before the episodes. Which, in full disclosure to our listeners, last couple of months has been pretty hectic for me, and um, I've done most of my recordings more or less on the fly. Um, but if anyone does have a psalm they want us to address then email it to us and we'll go and do our independent research and and then come together and uh, see what uh, it says to us Uh, feel free to share this podcast with anyone who you feel would benefit and join us again next week